I love this time of year. It is a time for reflection and a time for paying attention, a time for grief and a time for love. As the world outside here in the Northern Hemisphere begins to die and go underground and freeze, we can think about what is dying and needs release in our own lives. We can also honor and hold gratitude for the goodness and graces of the past year. And we can think about that which needs rebirth. My name is Eileen Campbell-Reed. Welcome to this special second Advent edition of 3-Minute Ministry Mentor Podcast. Today I'm going to share with you three more Advent reflections. Reflections that I wrote and which I love And in this episode, each one is about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I'll share just a little of the background about each story, and then I'll read them as an invitation for you to join with me in reflection. The first story I want to share today comes from 10 years ago when my daughter was five years old. She inspired me with her drawing of a nativity one Sunday during Advent. The reflection is titled, Learning the Stories of Advent. One of the many gifts of the following the church year and circling through the life of Jesus and the life of the church every 12 months is its orientation of newcomers into the practice of Christianity through rehearsing the stories year by year. The season of Advent is fully upon us. And this morning, the Sunday, often associated with peace, a little window opened into the learning process of my five-year-old. She is learning the stories of Advent through listening and art and conversation. Learning in church right now is lively on several levels for my kindergartner. At one level, the community continues to bring her in and give shape to her faith. They are cultivating trust beyond her family, and they are helping her to experience what it means to live among the followers of Christ, this people of God. As a result, she is in constant exposure to the people, habits, customs, and stories of our community of faith. On another level, she is learning some deeper connections between the stories from scripture and history and the many meanings we make of them. Very practically, she is also learning how to sit with us in big church. (laughs) She is following along in the printed order of service, looking up the hymns and listening to the spoken words and the silence as we gather each week for worship. These are challenging and exhausting things to learn most of the time, especially if you are just five. Crayons and paper help. Jesus. Today, she began drawing this picture of Jesus during worship. A skinny infant he was, not yet swaddled by either of his very happy parents. Under J-E-S-E-S, she drew a manger of hay. The walls of the stable are on the two sides, but it's an open-air structure. (laughs) She leaned over to me and whispered about the color of the sky. 
I can't get enough of this blue. Isn't it pretty? I could hardly deny her that. And her way of putting it was so particular, I wrote it down. As I watched her draw, I thought how her picture captured the birth narrative by gathering multiple elements into one place. Many moments of the story are captured in this one moment on the page. For instance, the three circles on the manger, those are the three gifts which the Magi brought. And that's a flower in the center, in the same much admired shade of blue. An interview. Tonight after dinner, I asked if my daughter would help me with my blog. I wanted to interview the artist. After we made a photo of her drawing, I asked a few questions. Me. Why did you draw that picture today? M. Because I was thinking about Jesus and about drawing, and I thought, huh, it's about Christmas time, and I should draw a picture of Jesus. Me. What's your favorite part of the picture? M. My favorite part is like how I drew it. Me. So how did you draw it? M. I was looking at my other picture, which she had drawn on the back of the page, and I thought I should do that. Hmm. That's good, and that's all I need. Me. It looked like you were finished until you heard something in the sermon. Is that right? M. Then Pastor April was talking about all the people in the story, and she said, Drummer Boy. And I said, Oh, I need to add the Drummer Boy. Now that looks just right. Me. Can you tell me about those three circles on the manger? M. Those are things that the three kings brought. They just relaxed them on the side of the manger. They meant to put them in there, but they fell down when they weren't looking. The drummer boy was wondering what he was going to give. Then he said to himself, I can do that. I can do that. Yes, I can do it. I can, I can, I can do my drums. Learning. Then I smiled and I didn't make any of the contextual corrections that needed making. Not now. One significant reality about learning one's way into a community of faith is that the stories are often approximated at first. The elements are fluid. Some are imagined and they are filtered through the wider culture as well as both understandings and misunderstandings of the teachings of churches and pastors. I didn't explain that Pastor April was making an ironic use of the little drummer boy to say how we didn't really pay attention to the power of the Advent story, because it was more important that my daughter was listening in and heard characters in the Advent story. She connected it to her telling through drawing of that same story. Today, she was part of the worshiping community, and after today, she will revise this story and its layers of meaning over and over through her lifetime. That's one of the many reasons we circle through the stories of the body of Jesus and the body of Christ.
because each time we come to the story, we are somewhere new. And by grace, we may also be renewed. The second reflection I want to share is a short poem inspired by walking past a statue of Mary in Texas. I didn't write this one during Advent, but instead, while I was in Texas to interview ministers as part of the Learning Pastoral Imagination Study. The statue stands along a pathway between a library and a dining hall at the Montserrat Retreat Center in Louisville, Texas. Here is Blessed Mary of the Broken Pot. Blessed Mary of the Broken Pot, you preside over the blessedness and the brokenness of the world. You are Sophia, the wisdom of God and space maker for the birth of all things sacred. With blood and marrow, tears and sweat, ache and awe, you became the mother of God, and you teach us all to risk love for the sake of being real. Each manifestation of your grace becomes an occasion to imagine ourselves making space within our bodies and lives for the conception and growing of something sacred. You are an embodiment of divine hospitality, even when the things around you are broken, damaged, and harmed. You are the image of renewal, even when the dirt is cracked and the land parched from 70 days of beating down sun and 70 nights of cloudless, rainless skies. I learned, by osmosis mostly, to fear you and all things Catholic. But really, I think they were mostly afraid of your power. Your power to create the world, to renew life, and to give birth to divine presence. They feared it in you, and they fear it in me, and in all others who might give themselves over to becoming the mothers of God. It was Meister Eckhart who first awoke me to this way of seeing. We are all meant to be mothers of God, he said, for God is always needing to be born. So today, as you preside over a baked Texas landscape, a frozen mountain, a tropical garden, an urban jungle, or a quiet grotto, I am taking courage from you to keep making space inside for the sacred to grow and flow through me. For you preside over the blessedness and brokenness of my life, as well as the life of the world. The third and final reflection I want to share with you was not written during Advent either but it is most certainly about Mary, the theme of this podcast. It was written in the summer of 2019 during ordinary time. I had spent a couple of weeks teaching at St. John's University in Collegeville, Minnesota. It was a course on pastoral care and prayer, and I was remaining for a few more days on campus to write. 
here now is Epic Journey, Writing for My Life. The bells chime for worship. I am walking away from them. My path leads me deeper into the woods. Through a cathedral of trees, a lush carpet of green stretches away to my left. Low-hanging clouds reflect on the lake's quiet surface to my right. A pathway of pine needles hugs the bank and points me on my way. Families are gathered on campus for their annual visit to the Brothers of St. John's. I am sure the Abbey Church is full. The sky, too, is swollen. Gray clouds holding back the promise of rain. No mind, no hesitation. I take the path past the lily pads and marshes and over footbridges to the small, quiet chapel on the other side of Lake Sagatagan, where a teenager stands in silence holding her baby bump in the chapel built to honor her, her moment of creation and scandal embodied in her pose. Mary, Stella Maris. She is a star and she gives birth to light. Mother Mary of the sea, guiding sailors and travelers for centuries on end. As I travel this path, I kick up stones behind me, thinking someone is following, but knowing it is my own destructions and distractions along this path, this path of life, this path of writing, of telling stories that embody both creation and scandal. Memories of past treks on this trail, past times in this landscape beset me but then the goose poop brings me back to reality. No time to ruminate on other times and places when this moment demands attention. Otherwise, I may slip off the path and soon be drenched in the lake. Pay attention. To do the work of writing, of running, means paying attention to the urgency of now. To do justice to the stories that need telling is for me like the discipline of putting one foot in front of the other, one word at a time on the page. Keep it moving. Winds of the spirit lift my hair and my spirits. I move faster with more stealth to avoid mosquitoes. Persistent little reminders to keep moving. Yep, yep, yep. Frogs encourage me from the bank. One small tree, not much more than a sapling, with leaves still green, lays fallen across the path. Yet travelers have made a new way around. So often, part of the journey is to make a new path. I only pass one sullen young man who will not return my wave. Two lovers making photos on the bridge and a family with noisy children. Oh, and an elderly woman leaning on a younger one. Surely, did they go all the way to the chapel? Devotion often leads to heroic acts. All I know is that she smiled at me as we met on the narrow pathway. Mary. When I arrive at Stella Maris, teenage mother Mary 
does not smile. Her face is turned down in contemplation, pondering it all in her heart already, or just wondering what the hell to do. The chapel answers her question. Her story has been doing its work for centuries, inspiring life, love, devotion. The open, unadorned space of the chapel at the edge of the lake stands as testament to embodiment of grace, turning a young woman's scandal into a powerful creation of light for generations, a girl, an expectation, an epiphany. The particular and the universal in one pregnant moment. Just as I set my hand on the door to go, thunder. Should I stay? Raindrops begin pelting me. Should I turn back? No, it will be a rush home in the rain. The Cathedral of Trees is paltry protection from the downpour. As it gets heavier, I stop briefly under one covered bridge, then another. But I'm also dying to get to a bathroom, so I keep going. I only slow along the trail where the slick up and down places offer true danger. This is no shower, but a storm. Metaphor. Like other times when I have run through trees, this whole morning's journey grows into a long extended metaphor for writing. It feels like channeling every big writing project, especially the ones that are both personal and about so much more than me. The particular and the universal in one pregnant moment. Running the trail in the downpour feels treacherous and dangerous, and like I'm not sure, with Mary, what the hell to do. It takes all of my focus and discipline to keep going, often the way riding feels. It's easier to swap mosquitoes, dodge goose poop, and look over my shoulder for threats that are not there than to just keep going along the path. Somehow getting drenched in the storm is qualitatively different. It's more than just a distraction. It's more like, well, a pregnancy. The only way I got through it and heard a warning cry was to just keep going. No shortcuts. Just stay on the path and keep moving. Keep writing. And not every pregnancy I had led to new birth. I know the reality of grief and dreams deferred. The potential for loss is real in life and in writing. Even when I have a good community of support, the big work of writing can still feel very difficult. Not really the writing itself, but the truth telling. How honest can I be? How much of my truth can I tell? Only I can do it. I must write the stories that only I can write. Whatever scandals, whatever truth, whatever light can shine, my work is to collaborate with the spirit if the writing stands a chance. Journaling. I have spent years listening to and with women like Mary who collaborate with the spirit to do creative work in the world. They have generously shared their stories with me through interviews friendship, conversations, and their own writing. This morning, before I left out on this quiet walk that turned into an epic run, I wrote in my journal, I am waking up on a Sunday morning, staring at the news on my phone, 
The social media filters are telling me about things I want to change. An hour of trying to see where my writing fits in, my perfectionism, sneaky little bastard, and self-preoccupation too, leave me trying to figure out what to say that will be brilliant, appreciated, admired, read, taught, and loved. This is, of course, the wrong way to approach any writing. These longings are just at the edges of my consciousness. I'm not thinking them outright, but they are deep-seated desires that keep me from doing, well, what is possible. Not perfect, possible. So what is possible? Now that I've dispensed with those fantasies yet again to write what I know from my researcher's chair, to be speaking from there as a witness and participant in all the beauty and joy, as well as the brokenness, lament, and pain. How much of my own story? Why can't I, after three years, know my voice better? Well, because I've not done the work. Wait, that's a partial truth and partial lie. I have worked on it, and I need to see just how much. Lay it out, read it, hear it, and finish it. Prioritize it daily. This is why I'm here in Collegeville, so I can assess my place in this big project and several small ones. In fact, I've come to have more than 17,000 words knitted together. They are a mess still, but that is the work that comes next. Finishing. By the time I reach the Abbey Guest House, I'm feeling ready to be done. Relieved to be near a bathroom, I walk up the final hill not so much tired as just dripping and seeking shelter. When I enter the guest house, it is silent. All the worshippers are still in the Abbey Church. A guest host is staffing the desk at the guest house. A college student who's nearly asleep in front of her computer screen. She looks at me dully as I poke my dripping head around the corner to ask, can I borrow a towel? I've just run all the way from the chapel in the rain. Are you staying here? The guest host obviously does not know the rules of Benedictine hospitality. Oh my goodness, you are soaking wet. Let me find a towel. What else can I do to help you? None of that. No, I say, I'm staying across campus. I just need a moment to dry off before I go the rest of the way. So do you have a spare towel down here? I don't tell her I know where the laundry room is. I'm beginning to think from her blank stare that she might not even actually know herself. I am impatient. Why do the monks hire someone who so completely does not embody their mission? Why am I feeling so harsh about it? Maybe because I'm literally dripping and still catching my breath, and I think my needs look fairly obvious. Yet it remains my work to ask for help that I need. What? I think I get new issues? Hardly. More thunder. She finally comes up with something. Do you need an umbrella? Epic rain and wind. I'm standing here dripping on the welcome mat. Yep, yep, yep. I'm not a frog. I could use an umbrella. Instead, I say, sure, that would be great. I'll return it later today. I stand there dripping for a few more minutes, then I go to the right, not quite remembering for sure where the restrooms are. I could use a paper towel about right now. I grab a few tissues from a low coffee table and wipe my face. 
Then I remember and turn back down the hall in the other direction. I just say, restroom, and point as I walk past the guest host of the guest house. She says nothing in return. Eventually, after the restroom and a few more paper towels to wipe my face and shoulders and hands dry, I decide there's no point in waiting. No matter the pouring rain, I'm soaked and I have an umbrella to keep the deluge out of my face. Sometimes when we finish our epic journeys, there's just no one waiting to congratulate us at the other end. If we wait for something magical or hospitable to happen, we are likely to just be further disappointed. To the very end, we have to keep making our path, and for me that means, well, asking for the help I need. When I go back by the desk, other people are checking in. The guest host of the guest house knows how to help them. I step outside. The rain has picked up and it's coming down in large sheets. Lightning is striking, more thunder, and I think, maybe I'm foolish to go further in this. But I'm already soaked, so who cares? Keep going. Once committed to the writing journey, if it does not go in the way I hope or plan, the best and even the simplest thing is to just keep going. I take the shortest path back to the Emmaus Hall. I can barely hear the worshippers singing through an open abbey door over the pouring rain. Many floods along the sidewalks turn, turn my shoes and socks into sponges. At least I can see the path just ahead of me, and the umbrella turns inside out only three times. I am soaked to the bone, but I am glad to have reached the end. Inspiration The image of Mary giving birth to light, that is my inspiration for writing these two weeks and beyond. How will my writing give birth to ideas that are germinating in my soul? What light do they shine? As I pace barefoot in the apartment, I continue dictating my story, which began so easily, like my summer morning stroll to the chapel. The words and images tumble forth, yet the effort it takes to bring a piece of writing home is often just as epic and challenging as my two-mile run back through the pouring rain. As I work, a St. John's Bible illustration falls from the windowsill across the room. Unprovoked, I was nowhere near it. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. No need to make things up. It's like the whole universe is conspiring to urge me along. Thunder. Now a new cart has fallen down from the other windowsill. Dragonfly. Clarity. Focus. Seriously, it needs to make anything up and the stories I'm telling are more potent and complex than most fiction anyway. Although I'm not much of a signs and wonders kind of person, the openness of my mind at the moment wants to make meaning of every tiny detail of life around me. No other cards fall, not before that moment, not since. I will simply add their inspiration to my stash and shore up my conviction that help is everywhere around me. Just ask, just believe. I will pay attention and give my consent to this dragonfly who has in my past been a talisman and medicinal force to help me focus my most important work. Thank you and welcome to this journey. I will lean forward and tip myself down the path, 
trusting in things not seen, and believing in these many assurances of things hoped for. The work is all here in front of me, and time to tend it carefully. This gift of time and space, paid for by former versions of my hardworking self, and paid for by my inherited privileges of education and economics and encouragement. Storms may rage, and rain may baptize my every move. The journey may feel epic and require all inspiration, all discipline, and all focus. Yet here I am on the path, I am running, and I am writing for my life. Friends, wherever you find yourselves on the path this Advent and Christmas and soon Epiphany, I hope you find the help you need, the inspiration to pull you along, the hope to keep moving forward. My blessings to you along the way.